I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theater writer and dramaturg. I'm Jen Apoff-Gray, founder and artistic director of Forward Theatre Company. And this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theatre in the Midwest and around the country. And welcome to episode 37 of Theatre Forward. All right. <laughs> be here. So this week's conversation is all about the questions that we are having to ask ourselves as theater makers right now. You know, what new considerations are impacting our decisions as we prepare for theater in the age of COVID? Both as we pivot our planning for the immediate future in making changes and adaptations to our 2020 to 2021 season plans, but also as we think further ahead to the 2021-2022 season um, with so much that is unknown to us. Um, and yeah, we just thought the purpose of this conversation would really be to, to, to talk about some of the new considerations that we are all pondering and, and both what we might do and what we're seeing our colleagues around the country do uh, as they try to answer most of the exact same questions. Um, so obviously, I mean, a, a big place that this all starts is local state and well, not so much federal these days, but local and state uh, regulations and guidance on what's allowed. Um, and there's obviously sometimes conflicting guidance. It, it can change as we are seeing all around us uh, in response to how uh, the disease is uh, unfolding in different communities. But that's obviously the first place we start is looking at, at our local conditions and what government officials will even make possible for us. And I would say um, in a continuation of that, our union, Actors' Equity Association, is asking for people who do plan on being in a building, rehearsing together at some point in the future, to have a, a pretty robust safety plan. And that includes, that goes all the way, we, we know the cleaning of the hands, God knows we know the sanitizing, you know. Um, but asking like, there are, there's air vents and the HVAC system. What does, what does that look like? Has it been cleaned? How is it, how is it channeling air in and out? There's some really specific regulations for those of whom want to get back into a room. Yeah. And, and of course where equity begins in even, uh, uh, allowing companies to, request permission to go back to rehearsing in person, it all starts with what those local regulations are, right? You know, what, what's allowable, how many people can be in a room, um, and, and that it covers both the rehearsal part of the process, the tech part of the process, and of course then the performance part of the process, and how, how can we make a plan to do each of those segments of our work uh, within the local guidelines. And of course, all of us are, are struggling with the fact that what the local guidelines are today may not be the local guidelines in one month or three months or six months when we're looking at the time frame of our upcoming uh, productions. But, but yes, Julie, as you say, if, if we start from the point of view of what the local um, and governmental restrictions are, the next step for professional companies like ours is, of course, the unions. And um, and they need to give permission for their members to be back into, um, it, it, you know, into a rehearsal room. And uh, there's 
long, long lists of questions and safety protocols that we need to be ready for uh, to even contemplate that. It's lovely that we're having this conversation the morning after Wisconsin, which is where all of us are recording from, got added to the list of states on the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut quarantine of places where because of the surge in cases here, you'd have to quarantine for 14 days um, there. Um, I mean, I think for a long time now, we're going to be looking across the big water to Europe to get ideas of the ways in which we can move forward because we have so colossally botched um, getting this under control because of the abject failure of leadership on every level in almost every part of this country. You know, we are now going backwards uh, at a point when continental Europe is basically reopened or close to with a lot of its um, uh, sort of theater options. Uh, and where Britain is sort of moving slowly in that direction. Now, I say this on the morning where a planned national tour of six uh, this summer to 12 outdoor venues in Britain just yesterday got canceled uh, because of, you know, upticks in the virus in different places in Britain. But, you know, they are still planning to open um, uh, on the West End in the fall, uh, a production, or the reopen the long running production of The Mousetrap there, which is a show which more than most shows lends itself to a social isolation moment. And one of the most exciting things I've seen so far, which I think will be a way forward for American theaters, is the live production that was done at Old Vic uh, with Claire Foy and Matt Smith of Lungs. Um, now you had a very, very smart director with a lot of history in film who was able to work with things and Matthew Warchus make work with things to make it look like they were closer together than they really were. But they practiced very, very rigid social distancing, both in rehearsal and when they were on stage. There are obviously limits to what you can do. That is a two-person show. Um, so, you know, it, it's, that's going to be something I think we're going to see more of, but there are opportunities, probably not this fall, but maybe in the spring for more and more shows like that with very, very small casts where maybe you have a few audience members in the theater, but where it becomes much more manageable to socially distance rehearse, uh, a play and see plays like that. I think in some form or fashion with maybe a combo streaming and live option, at least I hope so. Yeah. And that's really you know, as we look specifically at, at um, what companies like ours are doing to sort to salvage and, and, and soldier on with our 2020-2021 seasons is this need to um, figure out all, all these different scenarios that range from full productions with full audiences in person. And I, I don't know that any of us have a ton of hope that that is on the horizon in the next nine months here in this country. Um, but you can then, you can work backwards from that. You can say, okay, it's rehearsed live. It's performed live in front of smaller, more distanced audiences. And it's also filmed and shared with uh, some audiences that watch from home. And then you can go back to it's rehearsed live and it's done on stage and it's filmed and there's a handful or not even any people in the audience, um, but it's at least on a stage and that's filmed and shared with your entire audience at home. Or um, you do what we're going to be doing with our September show this year, which is that the entire thing is remote and it's um, rehearsed remotely with each actor and the director and the stage manager in their own homes, uh, you know, creating the most visually and theatrically interesting version of the story that we can. Um, but, you know, no two humans are coming into <laughs> direct 
contact with each other at any point in the process. Um, in order to have those options even on the table for all of us as we work through this year, it's required a tremendous amount of flexibility and openness to new things, not just from, from the unions we were talking about before, but also from the playwrights, um, from their agents and representation. Um, you know, a lot of people have to agree to allow theatrical storytelling to be shared in ways that it has almost never been shared before. I mean, there's, of course, there's the, the exceptions, the National Theater Lives and, you know, Broadway HD. And there's, there's always those sort of really high profile, really rare um, exceptions. But for the most part, companies like ours, regional theaters around the country, we, we don't offer filmed versions of our work recorded versions of our work to audiences. And now that is a massive, massive part of what we do for the foreseeable future. And it's, it's I, asking to designers, which we have, we are doing full, full spate of designers and, and keeping their contracts for lifespan that will be completely virtual. We're asking people now to do jobs that they have never done before. I mean, certainly, um, some are, you know, maybe have done some sort of TV or, or film productions, but, but we're asking, you know, a scenic designer who is used to uh, putting things on a, on a stage now is going to be sending things to people's homes, uh, making, making rooms look um, unified. I mean, it's, it's a, it, we're asking a different skill set and I'm, I'm amazed at not only the people we're working with, but but American theater, theater in general, for stepping up and doing things that they are are have never done before. I look at our director of marketing and communications, who has now become a video, um, you know, expert. He is our he's our streaming expert. And it's it's amazing to see the changes that people are just uh, yeah sure I'll learn this I guess I need to do that it's it's fantastic and Scott Hayden right now is is, is blushing crazily because because he's way too modest to take the credit he deserves for having having made all this happen um, it really has been in, incredible and you're seeing stories like that everywhere you know I think another place. I think we're seeing the limits of, you know, we've all seen a lot of plays on Zoom and some of them work and some of them have been really wonderful. I mean, I think the Apple plays have been really good. I think the line out of the uh, public has been really good, but they have their limits. And I think one of the things I see that's really promising, and I think I've mentioned this in a podcast before, but we're seeing more and more of it now, is the pivot to straight up radio plays, um, which allow actors to exercise their chops uh, you still don't have the chemistry of uh, of people together on stage sort of reacting to each other in the same way. But you also aren't hindered by the ins and outs and the fussiness that sometimes comes with Zoom. And I'm thinking, for example, I'm halfway through listening to this, to the amazing um, Richard II out of the public, um, which was supposed to be one of their profile, predominantly people of color productions this summer. And you're seeing in all kinds of new ways this 400-year play speak to us. And I just got a press release this morning for a new play that was going to be done by Hangar Theater in San Jose in a co-pro with One Year Lease Theater in New York City of a new play commemorating the anniversary of the moon landing 
um, and meshing that with uh, the story of the black arts movement using Gil Scott Heron's poetry. And that has been complete. That was going to be a, a world premiere in Houston. I think it's Houston in August. It's now been completely redone um, as a radio play which, you know, they're very careful to say this won't preclude a future world premiere stage production, but they're going to try and put it forward in the next few weeks in that guise. And I think as a way of allowing playwrights work to continue to happen without feeling constrained in all the ways that Zoom constrains us, that's also potentially for theater companies everywhere, either an adjunct to their regular programming or something that will in fact replace part of their regular programming for as long as we can't get back onto a stage. Well, isn't that one of the questions? I mean, you know, the kind of topic of this, this podcast is that what what are what's the audience's capacity for watching all of this? And and where do and we're gonna pivot because we're gonna have this idea like we have reached the zoom level <laughs> and now <laughs> and now what's the next thing? And it's gonna happen. Uh it's going this time next year, it will look different what we're doing because we have all decided that audiences are sick of this. Here's what they really want. And uh, we have to be ready to make those changes. Yeah. Another whole um, host of uh, questions, issues to, to solve um, comes around uh, the physical space. You know, as we, um, as we look to what comes after Zoom, after meeting Right now, it's kind of all that's open to us. I mean, there's a handful of companies around the country that are kind of leaping back into live production performance. I think for the most part, that's being met with skepticism and frankly, criticism and safety concerns and all of that. But for sure, in the coming, you know, number of months, there will be um, some degree of return to plays being rehearsed in person and possibly small and growing numbers of audience members being there in person. And so what does that mean in terms of physical spaces? And this is where there's a wide variety of challenges for our colleagues because some companies own their own building. They actually are responsible for all of the safety precautions. Other companies like Forward, we are tenants. You know, we are a resident company in Overture Center for the Arts and a lot of the um, the safety, both from a cleanliness and then the procedures and policies standpoint, falls on their shoulders. Um, and there's so many different things that need to be worked out. Um, you know, what is an appropriate uh, seating plan for social distancing, given whatever the limitations are of numbers of people that are allowed to be in one space? And then how do you how do you do that from a seating and ticketing perspective? Because of course, people who are there together from the same household they can sit together, but then how many seats need to be, how many feet of space need to be between them and people in a different household? How do you actually manage that? You know, I can't even get my head around what you do in a thousand seat house. I mean, we're talking about 350 seats. Okay, if you can fit in a hundred people, but then you have to figure out how many people are actually gonna come from their household and how many would rather just watch it recorded at home and where do you put them and how do you figure this out? How do you get them in and out of the theater? Um, working with, you know, we've been having conversations with the Overture staff. Are there going to be physical tickets again in the near future? Or does it all want to be scanned so that it's contactless? Um, are we going to bother printing paper programs anymore? Boo. Or do we just make them digital <laughs> for safety no. so that you're not 
passing. So I know we all love the souvenir, but for safety <laughs> reasons, is that, you know, something that's back uh, on the table? Um, you know, we've talked a lot about the importance of when we can have audience members back in the theater, having a mandatory mask expectation. Great, because you just don't want people to all, I mean, we all know, we're theater makers, we know people cough in the theater all the time. And they don't necessarily, you know, have COVID when they cough. But boy, if I'm sitting in a, in an enclosed space and anybody coughs, my attention level is going to go through the, the roof. And so if I know everybody else is wearing a mask, I'm not going to feel as upset or concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So if we could say, hey, patrons, you have to wear a mask. But how do you enforce that? What do you do when someone sits in their seat and then they take their mask off? What do we do? Like, those are things we have to Who's sort of charge of that. Who's in charge of it? How do you enforce that? Mm-hmm. You stop the play and say, get up and leave. I mean, I don't, this is all very, very um, uncharted territory. Uh, yes, yes, for, you stop the play and you kick that person out. I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. But again, but who does that? Like, who physically, you know, the usher? Ushers have needed more training for a long time and need to be paid better than they are. And this is one of the ways in which we can help make that. There are all kinds of new priorities and agenda items in terms of how we think about the way we organize as a business that are going to be so positive and so good coming out of this. And treating ushers with the respect and giving them the authority they deserve is going to be near the top of my list because there are a lot of obnoxious people for a long time that I would have loved to kick out of a theater and ought to go. You know, and so cell phone ringers, they're out. out. Well, you know, I mean I understand (laughs) that that people make mistakes, but but I mean seriously, it's like something like that, which is like you're in a you're in a space, people, where you're coming together to be part part of a community where heartbeats are supposed to be one, blah, 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 and you're taking off your mask? I have no sympathy for that. I mean, yes, Jen, you're right. It's a question, but that's one that, to my mind, is fairly easy to answer. I mean, places like last night, yay, yay, I don't have a report on what happened yet. In Yokohama, they just opened a tour of Mamma Mia. Everybody's got to wear a mask. Um, everybody has, you know, there's everybody is tested uh, in terms of the workers on, on stage and off stage. Uh, everybody is temperature tested when they come in the space and there's social distancing. Um, Regent Park in London is going to open a six week program in a month with 30% of its seating capacity. I mean, places, if we had this virus under control and we will get there, even if we have to restart, things like that will be possible. Now, my favorite of the things so far, which I know is not going to happen at the Overture Center, but God, I love the idea, is what Wilma Theater is doing in Philadelphia, where they are literally building boxes. Um, in which, which will allow between, I think, 40 and 115 people per performance. The boxes are of wood. Somehow they're like shrinkable and expandable. That's not going to solve the problem of safety for actors. I think that's going to still mean very, very small plays or one person plays, but it will expand the number of things you can do with, with an audience. And there's got to be, and we can solve in this, in this world, so many seemingly more difficult problems. There've got to be ways in which we can build bubbles of some kind that would protect audience members, which would at least take care of that half of it. We still have to deal with the onstage. I don't want to see performers in a bubble. That doesn't work for me. Right. Well, and you know, your, your point about the respect that needs to be accorded to ushers and um, uh, the institutional investment in a, you know, well-trained and, and prepared ushering crew is, uh, is very well taken. But I also know most of the regional theater spaces I know of, and for sure Overture Center, that's an entirely volunteer crew. Where? 
And so uh, a transition like that to um, employed professional ushers could, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons, but of course I look at it. Overture Center, our home is closed through the end of this year. Right. I mean, they just had to shut down. I mean, that's another question we're having to deal with. You know, what do you do if you, if your facility can't be open? Uh, so, you know, I don't know that, that converting a volunteer program to a paid staff program is realistic at any point in the next however many years from a financial perspective, aside from everything else. Um, so, yeah, it's just so... Well, but again, yes, but that's, this is the moment for us to stand. I, I, I understand there's money problems yeah. in a country which, you know, doesn't fund the arts in a state that is 50th of 50 states in terms of per capita spending. We a Wisconsin go, but, but in, unless we are going to start thinking in the same way that that awesome 29 page manifesto, we see you is telling us to rethink the way in which we have built backs on a uh, built theater on the backs of you know people of color for too long and taking advantage of, the, of their services for too long. There are all kinds of ways in theater where where even though it's done with lots of nicey nice and talk about collaboration, we are leveraging the free work of people in ways that are not fair and that are, are not good for who we want to be. And if it means here, we have here. to scale back and say we're going to invest in that and there are things we can't do because of it, you know what? That's okay. If I have to give up a few Shakespeare plays, which will almost kill me. Um, because of this cash size, you know, and, and we can take some of that money and invest it in ushers. Yay. I think that would be a fantastic thing to do. Yeah. Bravo. Bravo. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. You know, if, if you take the um, considerations of what we're having to do right now in this moment, just to pivot seasons that were planned before COVID happens. Now we're also, uh, while simultaneously figuring out what to do right now with this upcoming season, most companies are also looking, this is our normal season planning time for the following year, or maybe even for the year after that, and thinking through what kinds of productions make sense. Uh, you know, we didn't have COVID in mind when we planned the 2021 season. We are going to have it in mind as we plan the 21-22 season. While we would all love to count on, uh, you know, a universally available and successful effective vaccine by then and everybody pouring back into the theater, we certainly should not be planning as though that is a fait accompli. And so um, looking at shows, you know, musicals are really problematic. I know, Mike, we're so, we're so there for you. And then, you know, a global pandemic hits, you know, musicals are really tough. Singers are super spreaders. Um, It's going to be really, really difficult to do a musical, you know, for at least for a company like ours that doesn't do them all the time. I mean, a company where that is the one thing they do, they can put some resources into figuring this out, but it's definitely um, a huge problem. Uh, Obviously cast size is a biggie. Um, You know, what is the show about? Like, does it really require a lot of physical intimacy or can it be staged where for the most part actors stay a little farther apart? you know, does it have an intermission or not? I mean, that's a conversation we always talk about because so many contemporary plays don't have intermissions. And, you know, I, there's pros and cons to that, but now there's a big disadvantage to shows that do have an intermission because facilities are concerned about safely getting people in and out of the theater during an intermission. And of course, you know, restroom usage is a higher transmission 
uh, risk situation. And so um, the kinds of shows that Equity right now is looking at allowing people to uh, return to in-person for are the shorter ones with a tiny cast and you don't take an intermission and uh, no singing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so as we look at the kinds of shows we want to do in uh, the following season, you have to wonder, you know, do, is it just smarter to program a lot of small shows, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's not, e- and that's not even thinking at all about the financial reasons to do that. It's purely from a feasibility. Can we get this up on a stage uh, point of view? Um, but boy, it'll be boring if every theater in the country is doing two-hander plays all during the 21-22 season. So, yeah. A, two, a two-hander where the actors are actually apart more than together. I don't know that, you know, somebody needs to write that because there are not that many. I don't, yeah. What, what, what are those considerations in terms of actors? And are you better with a lot of actors who can be spread apart? All, all things that we have to, to wrestle with. I, Irish playwrights are going to have a field day. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> right. apparently kidding with all the monologues. Really big, the- a really big table, really big bar. <laughs> well, I have lots of monologues. So, you know, which make it more, more possible. Um, you know, there's also in terms of planning for 21-22, there's the whole other pandemic we're, we're dealing with, which I, I realize that's a whole separate conversation. <laughs> or, or, I, or 12 or 100, yeah. Well, yeah, right. But I mean, the kinds of plays that we do aren't just going to be affected technologically. They're going to be affected by, I think, what, what we've always known and now is becoming even clearer um, to more people, which is that we have a racist pandemic and a racial pandemic in this country as well. And I think that that lends itself to sort of combining I mean, we're innovating in all kinds of ways. And one of the things is there's a lot of plays that involve smaller casts that involve some of these issues that have historically been ignored. Um, and it's going to be so cool to see some of those plays programmed in months other than February. I can hardly wait. <clears throat> Agreed. You know, and maybe that's a good place to to wind up this conversation on on a note of positivity that as, as challenging as this time is, times of reinvention are also... Uh, exciting they're not just scary they're exciting and and uh and let's keep focused on that um but for now we'll say that that's all for this episode of theater forward a conversation about theater in wisconsin the midwest and america thank you so much for joining us i'm jen upoff gray i'm julie swenson i'm mike fisher our podcast is produced by tech man extraordinaire scott hayden uh, you can follow us and you can even listen to us at all because he is here uh, or share your thoughts on facebook twitter and instagram at theater forward as always with an er and if you enjoyed this podcast don't forget to subscribe to us on apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in and be sure to leave a review or comments let us know what you think We're so grateful to have you listening and we will be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation.